Mind you, he does work with kids, so it's understandable. <laughs> hey, um, I thought this was joke was I thought this joke was funny. <laughs> we'll soon find out if you do. <laughs> so an old guy comes along. He goes, "Just look at that young person with the short hair and the blue jeans." I can't work out if it's a boy or a girl. It's a girl. She's my daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that you were the father. I'm not. I'm her mother. <laughs> oh. Anyone ever? Uh, anyone ever said something and then uh, never say, "Are you pregnant?" <laughs> never say, "Are you the father?" <laughs> You're the mother. Uh. Anyway, Mother's Day. I had another joke, but we'll move on. <laughs> you know, when you, um, speaking of mums, speaking of women in general, mums in particular, and uh, as Josh was saying, there's mixed emotions around uh, the memories of our mothers. Um, and uh, But when you look at people who live lives of significance, and uh, as a mum, as a, as a uh, woman, as a husband, as a, as a man, as a father, um, you want to live a life of significance. You want your life to count. You want it to make a difference in the world. I don't think there's anyone that just goes, oh, no, I, don't, I, just, I just don't want to have an impact on anybody. I, I don't want to have a positive influence. I don't want to do anything with my life. I mean, there might be moments when we don't want to get out of bed. Um, but when, we, when you read biographies or autobiographies of people who have done significant things, whether they're as Christians, Christian leaders, or even in, in the secular world, uh, one of the key ingredients that I want to focus on here today um, is not necessarily whether they had a good family or not. If you read the stories of people who have achieved great things, it's, they haven't all had loving, nurturing families. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. So having a loving and nurturing family is not a guarantee that you're going to have a significant and impactful life, have high achievement, not wealth. Not everyone who's been influential, significant, had a big impact in people, changed people's lives, have come from wealthy families. Um, and it's also the case that, that you had no hardship in your upbringing. Does that uh, determine whether you're going to have a significant impact on people, whether you're going to leave a legacy, a memorable legacy? Many people have grown up with very difficult and under very difficult circumstances. Um, two people that come to mind, uh, Helen Keller and Viktor Frankl, if you <clears throat> know their stories. I won't go into their details, but horrific circumstances that they went through and yet went on to have a big, significant impact in many, many people's lives. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and so when you look across people's lives and you look a, 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 across the, the significance and the influence that they have, and even if you look at your own life or even at your parents or someone that you admire, so the common denominator is not necessarily a good family or from a wealthy background or, or had an easy life. <clears throat> but I believe that the common denominator in those who have had an impact, I know in my life and possibly in yours as well, whether it's directly or indirectly through books or videos, 
uh, or influence is that they all faced failure. They all faced disappointment. They all had regrets and losses at times. Um, And yet they were able to continue. They were able to persevere. They were able to continue to move forward onto great achievement despite these challenges, despite these difficulties, despite these setbacks. And so how do you do that? And, you know, if we're focusing specifically on mums here today, uh, but I think this is relevant to all of us, you know, working mums particularly can feel guilty or uh, um, uh, uh, have the tendency to feel guilty, probably more than most other people, I would say. It's a challenging role in our particular society. Uh, I'm not saying other people don't feel guilty, but I know, having spoken to many, many mums, not being one myself, but uh, speaking to many mums, uh, I know that uh, working mums particularly can feel guilty for not spending enough time with their children, not being at home enough, feeling guilty about that. And then stay-at-home mums feel guilty because they feel like they should be contributing more finances to the family budget. They should be out there working. And so you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You, you go to work and you feel guilty. You stay home and you feel guilty that you're not doing the right thing. Uh, women can feel guilty because you're not like your mother. Or you might feel guilty because you are like your mother. <laughs> you can feel guilty because you don't fall pregnant. You can feel guilty because you did fall pregnant. Um, there's, there's so many opportunities to feel guilty, to feel shame, to feel uh, disappointed, um, to feel a sense of failure, a sense of loss, a sense of lack of achievement not just in mums, but in everybody's life. I don't know if anyone remembers the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Who put your hand up if you know that movie, Napoleon Dynamite? My my favourite character, or one of my favourite characters, well, I guess I like them all. But who remembers Uncle Rico? If you've seen the movie, that uncle comes to mind, the, these two boys. And, I mean, it's it's a bit of a mute point if you haven't seen the movie, but Uncle Rico was a character who basically lived his whole life in regret. And just constantly brought up this moment in his life where he thought, uh, a crossroads in his life where he thought, if, if it just had have been this particular way, my whole life would have been fantastic. One of the quotes out of the movie, uh, he's sitting down talking to his nephew and he says this, uh, how much you want to bet I can throw this football over that mountain? So he, growing up, he played um, quarterback for a, I think a, either a high school or a college team, can't remember. He goes, yeah. Coach would have put me in the fourth. Coach would have put me on in the fourth quarter. We would have been state champions, no doubt, no doubt in my mind. He keeps talking in throughout the movie about this moment where he could have made it as a gridiron, a professional gridiron player. He thought he had the talent, that, and yet this moment came where if he had, if he had just been put on, he would have been able to fulfil his destiny, fulfil his purpose. Uh, and yet, over and over again throughout the movie. We see him wanting to go back in time. In fact, he even buys a time machine off the internet. <laughs> He's so desperate to go back to that moment in, was it 1985? Was that the year? You remember that? 80-something? He wants to go back to that moment because he felt like that was the moment where his life went on a different direction than, than what he had of hoped. And, you know, often we can feel that way. Um, 
Rico, Uncle Rico, was convinced uh, that that was the moment that his life would have changed for the better. But then he spends his whole life, and this is the whole, I guess, backstory to his character. So he spends his whole life trying to figure out how to go back to that moment instead of focusing on how do I improve my life from here on? What do I do now to fulfill this purpose or my great destiny or the reason that I'm here? His whole his whole life is turned around and he's always just looking back to that that moment. Um, and all of us at times will have to deal with disappointment, regret. But as I pointed out at the start there, people who go on to have an impact, a, a significant influence in people's lives that can leave a positive legacy also have to deal with these same emotions, also have to deal with these same situations. Every one of us can look back to moments where we should have done this, we should have bought that house, we shouldn't have bought that house, we should have taken that job, we shouldn't have taken that job, we should have moved, we shouldn't have moved. There's so many moments, there's so many times in life where we can think, oh, and yet our whole future is in front of us. Years before us yet, which is unlived, in which we can make a decision right now, I'm going to make the best of my future years from this moment on. I'm not going to live in regret. I'm not going to live in disappointment. I'm not going to live in in guilt. I'm going to, and if there is a moment that that is causing that, that we can give that to God. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he can bring redemption, forgiveness, and that, as Romans 8.28 says, that all things can work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Is that good news? That's good news. Um, So how do you deal with this? I want to look at uh, three steps here this morning. I might only get through two of them, um, but we'll see how we go. Um, the truth is every road of purpose and achievement, every, every road towards us wanting to have a significant life and, and leave a positive influence in people's lives are, are deal with the, these challenges. You know, uh, when the, if you know the story of the children of Israel, when they're going into their promised land, they had to go through a town called Shittim. And uh, I've got a whole series of messages that says if you want to get your pro, pro, if you want to get your promised land, you've got to go through Shittim. <laughs> and the tr- the truth that's actually in the Bible. You have a look. So if you ever want to swear but you don't want to feel guilty, just say Shittim. It's in the Bible. <laughs> that didn't go down well, did it? <laughs> I don't think anyone believes me. I'm actually a pastor. Believe me, it's in the Bible. <laughs> But the reality is, if you do want to get to that promised land, if you do want to get to that place that God's called you to, you do have to go through Shittim. You do have to go through this place where you've got to deal with stuff. You've got to deal with emotions. You've got to deal with, with mistakes. You've got to deal with regrets. You've got to lay them in that place, give them to God and move on to not allow them to continue to hold us back, to hold us captive to our future, spend our whole life looking back instead of out looking forward to the whole life that is ahead of us, that not one day of those are lived and the best days can still be the days that are to come. Not the best days when you were back in high school, maybe your best sporting days might have been back in those days, but God says that all things work together for good. I want to look at three things here this morning that we can do 
to move into living a life of significance, of value, whether you're a mother here today, to not allow those emotions to hold you back, whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, whether you're a husband, whether you're a father, we all deal with these things. So the first thing I want to look at, the first step here today in, uh, in moving out, leaving that stuff behind and continuing to per- press forward, number one is change. Everyone say change. No matter how difficult your circumstances are right now, no matter what you're going through at this particular moment, the answer does not lie in changing your circumstances. The answer lies in changing your perspective. Your perspective is what changes everything. Uh, I like that, uh, what Peter had to say in that offering. That was fantastic, Peter. Absolutely awesome. But the thought that triggered in my mind when you read that, what was that? Was it Psalm 16? Psalm 116 verse 2? Verse 12. But what I was thinking, it was saying, you know, uh, was the whole thought around, you know, how, how good has God been and, and what do we give back to God? But I'll see, you know, in the context, he's preaching to convicts. Most of them were convicts, or they were part of the establishment that had been sent to the end of the earth. Sent to Australia in those days. It was not like being sent to Australia today. It was a death sentence. So the crew... The governor possibly had a chance of getting out. All the convicts, everyone that he was preaching to right then, had been all given a death sentence. And here's this minister saying, hey, we need to focus on how good God's been to us. Are you kidding? Look where we are. It wasn't Bly and Hunter Street like it is today. Like Peter said, it was, it was bush. Most of the convicts that were sent out died, starved. Many of the seeds that they tried to plant didn't take. It was a death sentence. And here's a man telling them, we need to honour God. We need to be thankful for what God has done. Talk about a perspective. Talk about being able to help people see the rainbow in the storm. Change. The power of disappointment affects us when whatever happened or is happening right now, we see as a negative impact upon our life. We don't get disappointed with situations that we feel like have made our life better. Oh, I'm so upset I got that pay rise. Oh, I'm so upset my business is going well. No, we don't get upset by those things. We get upset when we think that somehow our life's been affected detrimentally or that somehow a negative impact has happened on our world. But if we truly believe the Scripture that all things work together for good, then we break the power of those things from holding us back and causing us to go into depression, discouragement, disillusionment. If we believe, you know what, it doesn't matter. Everything's working together for good. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean I like it. it. doesn't mean I have to smile. I might pretend to smile. But, you know, Charles Edison. Who's heard of Charles Edison? He's actually Thomas Edison's son, believe it or not. He was a governor of New Jersey, and he tells the story of his father in his biography, uh, Thomas Edison, who was the great inventor. You may have heard of him. He says in 1914... Edison Industries of West Orange, New Jersey. So this is Thomas Edison telling the story, Charles Edison telling the story of his father who had passed away at this point. 
He said, in 1914, Edison Industries, my father's whole life work was destroyed in a fire. Most of Edison's work was going up in flames. And so the young man, this is the son, concerned, looked about for his father and he finally came upon him, feeling like, I have to go and console my father. His life's work is going up in flames. Thomas Edison's face glowed in the light of the flames. Charles wrote this in his biography. My heart ached for him. No longer a young man. Everything he'd worked for was being destroyed. And then he says, my father spotted me and called out, Charles, Charles, run and get your mother. She'll never see anything as beautiful as this fire as long as she lives. Can you believe it? His life's work is going up in flames. And he goes, look at the flames. They're incredible. Come and have a look. You'll never see anything like it again. Perspective. So even in its destructiveness, Charles Edison wrote about his father. Even in its destructiveness, my father saw the beauty in the fire. As a researcher and inventor, he'd spent all of his life learning that success lives on the other side of disappointment. Success lives on the other side of disappointment. Every one of us will deal with disappointment. What are we going to do to get to the other side? Because success is on the other side of that disappointment. And how's this? Three weeks later, Edison invented the first phonograph. Three weeks after his life's work was destroyed, one of his greatest inventions came out. Three weeks later, he got an idea. Three weeks later, he invented it. Three weeks later, he came out with an idea that changed the world. How amazing is that? Perspective is so important to our life. You've got to change your perspective if you want to go on beyond the regret, the disappointment, the discouragement, the sense of guilt, failure, and shame. Give it to God and move on. Give it to God and keep walking. Give it to God and continue to look at the God who said all things are working together for good. All things are working together for good. All things are working together for good. Look at the flames. You'll never see anything as beautiful as that. You know, when I was doing my first master's, I'm doing my third one at the moment. When I was doing my first one, when I was quite young, computers were still in their infancy. Well, not complete infancy. I'm not that old. But um, anyway, I, I remember <laughs> I was doing a master's in theology at the time. I was in my 20s and um, I was new to computers. I'd been wor- I worked on it for, for quite a long time. And um, to cut a long story short, my computer froze. Who remembers when computers used to freeze regularly? I lost 12,000 words of my thesis. All of the work that I had done up until that point went. I hadn't backed it up. I hadn't saved it on the old floppy disks. (laughs) You guys wouldn't remember floppy disks. (laughs) (laughs) the old floppy disk. I hadn't backed it up. I hadn't saved it. And I remember losing 12,000 words, which was a lot of work. I was working at the time. I was doing it part-time. And I remember thinking, (laughs) shit them. I'm going through shit them right now. 
but I'm on my way to the promised land. <laughs> but I remember thinking, you know what? I can give up right now and think, I'm, not, I'm just not going to bother. Or I can start again. I can start pushing through. And since I was doing a master's in theology, I probably thought <laughs> I'd better keep going. No. Um, but it's moments like that where you do feel like giving up. It's moments like that where you feel like, and I wouldn't compare my situation to Edison, but where you think everything you've worked for is dissipating. Everything you work for is going up in flames. Everything that you've been striving for is somehow crumbling or like sand going through your fingers. What do you do at that moment? Comes back to your theology. What you do at that moment comes back to what you believe about God, what you believe about life, what you believe about your future. It's moments like that where what we believe will actually either carry us through or will take us down. And I want to encourage you, I don't know everyone's circumstances or what you're facing right now or what's going on. You may have feel like you've lost everything. You may have felt like something you've been working towards had somehow slipped through your fingers or a great opportunity had been lost or missed. But I want to tell you, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. It doesn't matter the setback. It doesn't matter the disappointment. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it's easy. I... I I'm, I can't remember if I swore or not. I, don't, I probably didn't. Although I wasn't a pastor then, so I probably did. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know, those, those moments, and we will all face them at times. If you haven't faced one, just wait. It's coming. <laughs> That's life. That is life. But Romans 8.28, this is, this is probably my, it will probably be on my tombstone. All things work together for good. Although probably not a good scripture to have on your tombstone. All, all things working together for good. All things work together for good for those who love God have been called according to His. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that? It's great to have it on your fridge. It's great to have it in a, on a plaque. It's great to have it as a memory verse. But it's true. It's true. And sometimes you've got to live that out. And you've got to allow it to give you the energy and the focus and the determination and the perseverance to go, you know what, I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going forward. You know, um, okay, we're still on point one. Anyway, um, we'll see how we go. We might only get one point out. Let me give you an example of um, Dr. Samuel P. Langley. Who's heard of Dr. Samuel P. Langley? No one's heard of him. He was a professor of mathematics and astronomy and the director of the Smithsonian Institute in the, 1980, in the 1880s and the 1890s. In 1898, because of his impressive research, he was given, this is 1898, he was given $50,000 in 1898, a grant to develop the first man-carrying aeroplane. In 1901... He had already successfully tested an unmanned, gasoline-powered, heavier-than-air aircraft. It was the very first in history, Samuel P. Langley. In 1903, he and a guy called Charles Manley, the pilot, to much fanfare, set about to launch the very first airplane, man-carrying, heavier-than-air airplane called the Great Aerodrome. In front of the world's media, they attempted the launch, but it didn't go to plan. Part of the aerodrome... Part of the plane, the aerodrome, caught 
uh, got caught in the launching apparatus and the biplane was flung five metres into the air and then 15 metres out and straight into the water in front of the launch site. Criticism of Langley was brutal in the media. The New York Times wrote, this ridiculous fiasco which attended the attempt at aerial navigation in the Langley flying machine was not unexpected. The flying machine which, which we really... Uh, the flying machine, which we really fly, might be evolved by the combined and continuous efforts of mathematicians and, me me and mechanics in one to maybe 10 million years. <laughs> 10 million years. <laughs> That's what they're saying. We don't think it's going to be invented in 10 million years. No doubt the problem has its attractions for those it interests. But to the ordinary man, it would seem as if the effort might be better employed more profitably. But Langley was determined. He wasn't going to be given, he wasn't going to give up so easily. He wasn't going to be distracted. Eight weeks later, he and Manley were ready to prove the world wrong. They'd made some adjustments. Uh, they'd made some modifications and they were certain that it was going to work. But this disaster struck again. This time the cable supporting the wings snapped as the plane was launching and it crashed upside down into the water, trapping Manley, the pilot underneath, who almost drowned. They just rescued him in time. Again, criticism was fierce in the media. They nicknamed the plane Langley's Folly. The New York Times wrote, We hope that Professor Langley will not put his substantial greatness as a scientist in further peril by continuing to waste his time and money in further airship experiments. And he didn't. Defeated, demoralised and publicly castigated and ridiculed, after 20 years of research and experimentation, on the verge of creating the very first flying machine, he didn't make another attempt. Even though in his mind, it's, uh, he wrote later, he was convinced that with a few more modifications, this plane would fly. But he couldn't face the ridicule, the rejection, the humiliation and the castigation that would come if he failed. And so he never ever tried again. Three months later, three months later, also after years and years of experiments that went wrong, after prototypes and failures that, that set them back, two brothers flew the Flyer One over the sand dunes of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Three months later, Orville and Wilbur Wright created the first flying machine when three months earlier, Someone had tried for the second time and because of discouragement and brutal humiliation, never tried again. Sad story. No one's ever heard of Samuel P. Longley and yet his work, a lot of his aerodynamic studies and papers, the Wright brothers used to create their own plane. A lot of his research, a lot of his work. And so, obviously, their work did go on and, and did have an impact. And yet, he lived the rest of his life in utter disappointment and discouragement. Change 
is important. There will be setbacks. There will be disappointments. There will be times where if you're in a public setting, you may be humiliated. But have you got the determination on the inside and the belief that what you are doing is right? What you are doing will succeed. What you're doing is in the best interest of everybody else. Change. Uh, and I'll finish with my second point. I won't, I won't go as long. It, it comes into that same one and I guess segues in and is keeping your eyes on the prize. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, in the letter to the Hebrews, the Hebrew church at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews and the Bible was under enormous persecution, tremendous suffering for the faith that they were that that they had embraced. They'd come out of the Hebrew they they were Jews, they'd come out of the Hebrew church, they were being persecuted, they were being challenged, they were being uh, removed from the temple, which had been their life. They were told you can't come in here anymore. Uh, so the whole world was being turned upside down. Many of the things that they had their faith and their trust in were being taken away from them. And they were being told, no, you've got to believe this new message. Jesus Christ has changed your life for the better. And yet many of them at this time with the writing of the Hebrews were looking back going, it doesn't look like it's got better. It doesn't feel like it's got better. It feels like it's got worse. And then the writer of the Hebrews writes this to the Hebrew church. This is a message translation and I like this. Remember those early days after you first saw the light. Those were the hard times. Kicked around in public, targets for every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, other days your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some, if some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing, but you need to stick it out, staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. Let's close our eyes here this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I want to encourage you here today to stick it out. I want to encourage, I don't know what you're facing, but I can guarantee you there's people here today that are thinking of giving up on certain things, thinking of letting go of certain things, thinking that this is too hard, this is too tough, this is too difficult, I'm not going to keep going with this. I want to implore you here today, stay with God's plan, stick it out. You may need to change your perspective, you may need to change some parts, you may need to make some modifications, but don't give up. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God's purpose. Don't give up on God's faithfulness, His goodness, His mercy and His greatness. God is for you. He's for you. He's not against you. All things work together for good for those who love God. is a marathon it's not a sprint so he will never leave you and he will never forsake you he will never let you down
may not always understand what he's doing or what's going on. But we walk by faith and we put our trust in him. We make the adjustments that we need to make in accordance with faith and anticipation. We keep pushing through. We always look for the positives. We always look for the blessings. We always look for the rainbow in the storm. And all things do work together for good. You will have a great (coughs) resurgence, a great resurrection. New ideas are still right there in front of you creativity, innovation, opportunity, all lay before you. Why don't we stand here this morning?